Time now to speak to Lee Adler for the first time in a long time. And the feature is called Lee Adler, Adult and Unplugged. He's talking to us from the south of France to one of his uh, many uh, bolt holes that he keeps in Europe during times like this. And times like this are actually quite poignant because the S&P futures, as we pre-record this interview, is down around about 66 points to 27.25. And yesterday was happily above 2,800. Lee, before we go on, just tell us what your latest incarnation is. I know you're the founder and the editor of the Wall Street Examiner. But what else, just before we get into the nitty gritty of the S&P? Well, I'm also publishing uh, some free articles at suremoneyinvestor.com. Okay. So you can find me there as well. All right, let's get on to the market. And as I said, it's quite poignant that we should be speaking when the market is cracking. But is this just a pre-George Bush Memorial Day market being closed sell-off in thin conditions? Or is this something more meaningful? Because when you go to fundamentals, I think that Mr. Trump lied to us about his meeting with the Chinese Premier, and it's those chickens, those lying chickens are coming home to roost. Well, first, let's let's go back to this rally. It was pretty impressive. It uh, really it shot out of a gun the other day when uh, Chairman, I call him Chairman Powell, like Chairman Mao, you know. Um, Chairman Powell uh, softened his uh, wording on his opinion about uh, how far interest rates have to rise. Uh, he went from a statement several months back, I think it was back in September or October, where he said that rates were well below the neutral rate. And the other day, I think it was Friday when he made his speech, he said that they were just below the neutral rate range. And the market went insane on that slight change in his his wording, yeah. one of the economists that I have some respect for, Ian Shepardson, said that really nothing has changed and the market overreacted. Well, who would have thought the market overreacted? Does the market ever re- overreact? Of course it does. So we've been in this trading range between 2,600 or so and 2,820, give or take a few points. Right. And what happens... If you go back over the past year, the market has traversed this range, I think, on 25% of the trading days and the the wider range up to 2,900 on about 75% of the trading days. So the more often a range is crossed, the thinner it becomes. So this market has gone back and forth. The S&P has gone back and forth, back and forth across this trading range. And there are fewer bids and fewer offers within the range. So it becomes very easy to go across that range in both directions. And, and this is, just becomes a lot of meaningless noise, this trading within the range. It doesn't mean anything. Everybody gets all excited when it rallies. And uh, today we're having a hell of a sell-off. But it's much ado about nothing, really. Well, I can tell you the two fundamentals, the two main fundamentals, i.e. rising interest rates, uh, was the first barrier to the S&P going to new meaningful highs. And the other one was the trade wars. Now, it seems that in three or four trading days, and indeed a weekend, both of those were removed, seemingly removed. Point number one, Powell or Powell, as you call him, was he bowing to Twitter pressure from uh, President Trump, who incidentally was the man that installed him as chair of the Fed? That's the first point. Or is the two-year and the five-year note inversion meaningful and there is no inflation in the system. We'll talk about that later on as well. And secondly, as I said earlier on, I think that perhaps the trade wars being dismissed for 90 days is nothing more than Mr. Trump getting up and misinterpreting what happened at a dinner. He hasn't got a great memory, despite what he says. Well, 
you know, these are the narratives that Wall Street wants you to be paying attention to. Uh, It's the uh, the excuse du jour, I call it the excuse of the day. You know, it's trade wars. This is what did Trump say uh, after he got off the toilet this morning? And, you know, what did he say the night before? And what's he going to say tomorrow? The trade wars, the interest rates. But in my way of looking at the market, it all comes down to the quantity of money. And there is less money around. The Fed is pulling money out of the system. The European Central Bank has stopped printing money. The Bank of Japan has surreptitiously stopped printing money. And at the same time, the the demand for money is as great or greater than ever. And it's growing all the time, particularly from the U.S. government, which is borrowing $100 billion a month. So the supply of money is being restricted and the demand for money continues to increase. So what happens is that the market tightens because we have less money and more demand for it. So as the market tightens, uh, liquidation takes place in the bond market and in the stock market and in the short-term money market. Interest rates rise, bond yields rise. They don't go straight up all the time. Obviously, there's been a rally in bonds the, the past few days. But for the most part, the trends are going to be towards lower stock prices, lower bond prices, which means higher yields, and higher money rates. And the trend in the bond market, particularly, uh, rather in the in the short-term money market, particularly for short-term U.S. Treasury bills, has been relentless. It's been a straight-line uptrend. Well, let's talk where, about that um, now. And you have to realize I'm a layman. So you have to talk about the short-term and the long-term notes and bills and bonds in the United States of America, because uh, a well-known commentator on CNN this afternoon by the name of Quest was talking about an inversion, and he was talking to a New York Stock Exchange floor trader, and he's saying people are worried about the inversion between the two-year and the five-year. In other words, the normal curve of an interest rate graph would be as follows. Short-term interest rates low, longer-term interest rates high, etc. But that is changing. Can you give it to us? Give us the straight dope on this one, if you would. (laughs) Well, I've never really understood Wall Street's fixation about the yield curve and yield curve inversions. Um, Another commentator that I, I noted on Twitter yesterday, whose name escapes me now and who it was escapes me, but he pointed out that yield inversions have had a lead time of about two years prior to the S&P 500 topping out or the economy going into a recession. So I don't know what good a two-year lead time for an inversion is. Now, everybody gets all excited when short-term rates are higher than long-term rates, but you know, I've looked at this stuff for a long time, and frankly, it has no usefulness in my way of looking at things. I'd rather focus on what is the market doing and let the, the charts of the, of the stock market and the bond market tell us what they're doing. I can't relate inverted yield curves to anything meaningful in terms of trading profits or investment strategy. What good is a two-year lead time? Maybe, so maybe um, historically. I, I guess I take an unconventional view, whereas yeah. everybody else seems to be very excited about this. And I'm just shrugging my shoulders and saying, well, I don't know what it means. Well, some people are saying that every, I mean, a very high percentage of the time that there has been an inverted yield curve, it has led to a recession, whether it's six months or two years, I don't know. And then after that, we have to work out what the relationship is with an impending recession and the stock market, which is where you come in. We've got a S&P futures 
market at the moment at 27.25. It was above 2,800 a couple of days ago. In fact, I think it was yesterday, and we're talking on Tuesday. So, yes, it was. In the morning, it was way above 2,800. S&P was 55 points. The, the, futures, the, the futures were. Yeah, the futures were. Of course, the real time didn't get the into that. The tax market never got above, above that level. No, but the knee-jerk futures people that needed to cover their uh, short positions uh, pushed that market higher. Where is it going next? I mean, with the liquidity being tightened, quantitative tightening, easy money out of the window, even though it's not quite out the window after what Chair Powell said. Uh, but it, it's still there. It's still going to be a good economy next year, and he will still have to keep rates relatively tight. So where are we going? Well, you know, the, the stock market is the signaling mechanism for business people to make decisions about investing and hiring. So um, there is this idea that the stock market is a leading indicator, and it's probably one of the few ideas that Wall Street promotes that has a kernel of truth to it. And that's because the market really is the signaling mechanism that consumers and at least high-end consumers and uh, business executives respond to in their spending and planning decisions. So... I prefer not to worry about what the economy is doing because at best it's going to move simultaneously with the market and at worst it's going to lag the market. So I, I prefer to focus on the liquidity factors that drive securities prices and on the price patterns themselves rather than worrying about when the economy is going to start to recede, go into recession, because by then it'll be too late. And we have this unique period of history now where the Fed is doing something that it never did before. And that is, it is literally removing money from the system aggressively. And it's never done this before. It's taking $50 billion a month out of the banking system. And that makes it more and more difficult for investors and dealers to absorb this $100 billion a month of treasury supply that is constantly hitting the market, that constantly must be absorbed, must be purchased by somebody. So with less money around, it means that investors have to liquidate other assets in order to acquire and absorb all this treasury paper. So that leads to my conclusion that prices of securities must fall. Now, they're not going to fall in a straight line. The money supply is expanding as a result of bank loans being increased, but uh, it's not the direct benefit that the market gets when the Fed is pumping money into the market through the primary dealer system. That's over. The Fed's going in the other direction, and so are the other major central banks. They're all trying to clamp down on this expansion of money that has created all these asset bubbles. They're definitely trying to, to end that. And Ultimately, they're going to be successful. They think they can do it and have a soft landing, but history says that they're not going to be successful in trying to do that. So I would keep an eye on this trading range on the S&P. It's, um, as I mentioned, I think 2,800 to 2,600, 2,620. Mm -hmm. I think if you take out the bottom of that range, the market's really going to take off to the downside. And uh, I wouldn't want to be long, and I think that that's – that's the time you want to look at puts, perhaps, to uh, 
take advantage of, of the profits. Okay, that are we can look at puts. We can do whatever we like if we do think the market's going to go up or down. We know that. But when you saw Monday morning, i.e. yesterday morning, and you saw the activity that I saw on the futures screen and in the real market as well to a certain extent, but a lesser extent, I said two things to myself. The first thing I said was, these are short covering rallies, and they're also people that do believe or... Do you believe the bull market is going to continue or want the bull market continue because they've fallen in love with it over the last right. 10 years? So they have to keep on buying the dips because that has served them well. On the other hand, on the downside, people are, are selling and they keep on getting burnt because of the first group of people that I just described. And eventually something's got to give. Which is going to give first, the 2800 the 2900 to the upside? Or is it going to be to the downside? Because I'm getting fed up with this thing bouncing back. I, I don't think there's enough basic liquidity to drive the market back to the highs. And I, I think that the demand we're seeing in this thin-bout trading range is coming mostly from short covering mm. because there is not a lot of cash available amongst conventional investors to buy on the long side. There, there have been enormous short positions built up, and the shorts are notoriously hair-triggered. When they see their profits being threatened, uh, they start buying like crazy. And, and you get into these short squeezes in these very thin trading ranges where you can go from the bottom of the range to the top of the range in a couple of days. I think it's quite telling that on a cash basis, the S&P didn't get above 2,800. I mean, the futures did, yeah. but only in the very thin trading in the Far East and in Europe. Once New York opened, the cash market never got above 2,800. So there isn't enough cash laying around in investment accounts to drive the trend higher. And frankly, I was a little surprised by that. And I'm a little surprised by the intensity of the, the sell-off that we're seeing today. The S&P is now down 68 points. People don't want to and have a day when they can't actually cover anything. Of course, they can cover their positions in Europe and do all sorts of fancy things because of the market holiday tomorrow in the States. Before we get on to other but, things and more important things, let me do just you add, let me add, yes, Lindsay, about the short covering, though. But once the shorts have covered, okay, that wave of buying is exhausted and there, it creates a vacuum of demand, which is what we're seeing today. Mm. I'm also seeing new lows on the S&P as we speak now, just about to break the new lows, 2721. Uh, one of these we days we're going to have a thousand point down day on the Dow. Ooh, one of these days we're going to have 2000 points on the Dow Jones. But uh, just one question before we get to more important matters. Do you think that the removal of liquidity, the 50 billion, the 100 billion per month, whatever the figure was that you quoted, is fully understood, number one, and number two, fully discounted by the market? Or are people going to wake up one day and say, wait a second, 50 billion a month for X months, and this month is going to be no different. I've got to get out of this thing. Um, I don't think it's been discounted. Um, my theory in general that it is that the market is not a discounting mechanism, although people like to think that it is. The market responds to liquidity. It responds to how much cash is in the system. And when investors are flush with cash, it's like money burning a hole in their pocket, and they put it to work. They want to buy stocks with it. Now they have less and less cash. The Fed is pulling money out of the system. The dealers have less cash. The banks have less cash. And ultimately, the hedge funds and investment funds that are out there on margin and are losing their asses because of it, they have less cash. And margin calls destroy money. So, you know, when these margin calls go out, it's goodbye. And that's what we're seeing today. And I, I think that ultimately the market is going to break down. 27.18, the S&P now down two and two-thirds percent. Really, really big move. One of the down biggest we've seen yeah. this year. 
Lee, you are in the south of France. You are in Nice. You're probably looking out of your window at the moment in your well-appointed apartment and looking at the Promenade des Anglais. There's the moon glistening on the Mediterranean. But on the other hand, France is a, is a beautiful place, but it's a country in turmoil at the moment. Would you rather be led by Emmanuel Macron, the president of the Republic of France, or would you rather be led by President Donald J. Trump? Uh, I obviously uh, neither one is very popular right now, but I'd have to take Macron. But um, uh, the French people obviously are very unhappy with him. And, and you know, God bless the French and, and their belief in uh, liberté, égalité, fraternité. And, um, you know, we'll see how this turns out. Lee, thanks so much for your extended time. That's Lee Adler, who's the founder and editor of the Wall Street Examiner, and you can follow him on SureMoney.com with his free articles and get in now. That's because SureMoneyInvestor.com. SureMoneyInvestor.com. They won't be free for long after this type of chat. Lee Adler will be back very soon.